Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different. Different. This is NOCO FM. You're listening to episode number 24 of the Boys Built Better podcast. Today we're going to be talking about boys and music. Welcome to the Boys Built Better podcast. I'm Jessica, a mom of three boys who is just trying to do things better. I'm coming to you from Fort Collins, Colorado, where I live with my husband, our boys, and a whole lot of four-legged friends. I'm here to share my thoughts on raising boys in today's world, find answers to your parenting questions, and chat with experts about building happy, healthy boys. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me today. Today, we're going to be talking to Joseph Perrin, who's the choir director at Lesher Middle School. And it's another episode of Boys Beyond the Ball, which I did um, earlier this year. I'll link to it in the show notes about boys being involved in theater. And today we're talking about boys being involved in music, ensemble music, and the benefits of that for boys specifically and, and also children in general. Just kind of chatting about the idea of other things that boys can be involved in that have value outside of maybe the typical sports. So I'm excited for you to hear our chat about these benefits. So let's cut on over to the interview. Hi, Mr. Perrin. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Jessica? <laughs> good. I'm calling you Mr. Perrin because you're one of my son's teachers. But um, why don't you, can you go ahead and introduce yourself properly? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Joe Perrin. I teach choir at Lesher Middle School. Um, this is my second year teaching choir here. Um, I grew up in Colorado, and uh, I've uh, been involved in choir and theater for most of my life. So. Cool. Well, before we get into questions about music and theater, which is why we're talking today, um, let's do a little icebreaker. You're sure. a teacher, so you just started your summer off. Any big summer plans? Um, this summer is going to be a little, uh, different than expected. My, uh, my wife and I are actually co-directing a musical for Fort Collins Children's Theater beginning next Monday. So we're in the process of getting everything set for that. Um, we're directing Frozen Junior. I think it's one of the first productions in the state of Colorado, um, cause the show rights just got released. So that'll be exciting. And then we we're working with 10 to 14 year olds directing that show, uh, until the end of June. And then the month of July, I'm going to fly out to Cincinnati and spend some time with my brother. Um, and I'll be there for probably three or four weeks, two or three, maybe even four weeks in July, depending on, um, I don't have a return ticket yet. He's going through some rough patch, so I'm going to go hang out with him and then try and go and be outside as much as possible. We've got tickets to go see a couple operas and musicals up at some of the mountain music festivals, um, in late July. So yeah. Cool. Well, that's a pretty good transition to what we're talking about today. Um, so the reason we're talking is that is to just kind of chat about boys outside of traditional activities. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, and I don't know a lot about your history. I'm excited to find out about it, but I do know that you have an extensive history with music and that's kind of what we're talking about today. Um, specifically for you, it's, it's vocal music, um, and just kind of your story and the benefits for other boys participating in music. So, to kick us off, can you kind of talk about your very first experiences in music and when you started and sort of what compelled you to get started? Absolutely. Um, I grew up in a really musical household. My parents are both um, amateur musicians. 
started taking piano lessons from an early age. I was probably five, maybe even four. Um, and did that for a long time, Stick stuck with piano all the way through middle school and into high school. And then um, along the way, I picked up percussion and I played percussion with uh, jazz band, concert band, all that stuff through high school. Um, and, uh, you know, when I was younger, I sang with a few boy choirs um, through the Colorado Children's Chorale down in Denver. Um, did some work. My grandfather was a big singer. Um, he was a barbershop singer, um, is a barbershop singer. And when he lived here in Colorado, uh, they were, he was involved in a lot of the barbershop world down in Denver. So I sang in a barbershop chorus with him when I was probably in seventh grade, maybe sixth grade. Um, and so singing was always something that was there, but it was not ever something that I really uh, considered until I got to high school. Um, I auditioned for the high school musical my junior year on a whim from an abet with a friend um, <laughs> who was a trombone player and band with me, and he just loved the musical Les Mis, which was what they were doing at my high school that year. And that is a pretty hefty undertaking for a high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he and I auditioned. I was actually in a I was in a music technology course, and I went in and I had musical skills already. So I recorded a little MIDI track version of uh, of a accompaniment for uh, Till There Was You from The Music Man because it was like the only musical theater song that I knew. Um, I had been in a musical in eighth grade, but it wasn't something that I really stuck with. Um, so I auditioned for the show and I got a tiny little part. And um, then I got recruited by the choir director from my high school to audition for the choirs. And my senior year, I was an all-state singer. And then when it came time to go to college, it was either music education with a percussion emphasis or music education with a vocal emphasis. And it just became clear to me that the vocal side was uh, going to open more doors for me. And so that's the way I went. Um, when I went to college, I moved uh, down to the University of Arizona for a semester and uh, did a semester there and then transferred to Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota, which is a big uh, choir program, a small college, um, smaller than my high school, but a uh, huge choral music program, um, which uh, I studied with Dr. Renee Clausen, who's one of the premier uh, choral directors in the country right now. And um, so, yeah, uh, just kind of took off from there. I developed a love from opera at Concordia um, through my voice teacher and started singing with the opera in Fargo-Moorhead. Um, and when I graduated from college, I took a teaching job, um, teaching middle school choir in Anchorage, Alaska, right after graduation and loved it up there. But my wife was still in school. Um, we were married at that time, but, uh, my wife to be was still in school in Minnesota. So I moved back for a year and, um, decided to give the opera thing a shot. And so auditioned for graduate schools and went and did a master's degree at DePaul University in Chicago um, for two years. And then we moved back to Colorado and been teaching here since we moved back. What can you talk a little bit about maybe more since it, it sounds like you kind of changed gears in late high school, mm -hmm. early college, but can you talk, I don't think that 
um, a lot of people understand sort of what a commitment to something like that looks like. You know, if if you're you have a child who's interested in singing or performing, so you, can you talk about kind of what that looked like for you in terms of your commitment and how often you were rehearsing or any of that? Yeah. So music was always something that I was already committing a lot of time to, and um, and then when I made the decision to transition and study full time uh, in college, it was it was different, but I found that all of my informal musical experiences in terms of writing music with, you know, people that I had met in my band class or whatever, really, I, w- I was highly motivated during those times. And so I learned a lot about the structure of music and what it takes to put something together without having it in the formal context, kind of, I was more comfortable in that idiom before, uh, before jumping in and doing the choral world the way that I've done it for the last uh, 12 years. So I think more than anything, uh, it takes, it takes a passion for it and it takes the understanding that what you're trying to do is build something bigger than yourself. It was a really difficult transition for me coming out of college when I was rehearsing with my choir for an hour and a half every day, five days a week. Um, so, you know, we were a really, really strong ensemble and we were really, really tight with each other and coming into a situation where I was teaching, I was trying to build that same level of, uh, cohesion in my classrooms, but I wasn't, I didn't really have that experience anymore in my own music making. That was a really difficult transition. So... And what now? You've mentioned your family was very musical, mm-hmm. uh, so my guess is they were really supportive. But did you ever get any kind of blowback for committing to music in college? Did anybody ever say to you, "No, you need to get a real degree"? <laughs> um, I not not really. Um, my parents were really supportive. My brother is a year older than me, and when he went to college, he was. He wanted to study chemical engineering, but he was such a fantastic musician. Music was so important to him that he was—he did a chemical engineering double major, chemical engineering and music theory. Um, so, you know, he kind of paved that road saying that, okay, I'm going to go study music and do something else. And that's kind of what the music education degree was like. Is It was basically a double major in music performance and education. So... Um, we had to take lots and lots of classes on either side, and the performance aspect of it was a huge part of it. I taking voice lessons uh, an hour a week, spending time coaching with uh, my opera coaches and in rehearsals with different ensembles. It was a it was a big commitment, but the education side was also uh, was also there, and my mom is a musician, but also works in education. She works at an elementary school down in the Denver area. And so she had always been uh, working in education in some capacity for most of my childhood. So it was, it was something that she saw as something uh, I could be successful in and that uh, was valuable and you know even though it's not the most the high, highest paying career of all time um, was something that 
I could find meaning in and so encouraged me to go in that direction. Absolutely. What about just you growing up, you know, obviously being a teenager and all that stuff can be hard. Is there any ways that you feel like personally music helped or hindered you through that time? Um, I think it helped enormously. Um, like I said, uh, all through high school, we were, I had a band that I played in and we played shows around Denver. Um, and just getting to work with the six or seven other people, um, collaboratively where my brother and I were writing most of the music, um, with help from all of our friends from band and from the neighborhood. And it just, we were, we weren't the most successful band, but we learned a lot about what it was like to collaborate and create something new as a group. And then in my more formal music experiences in band in high school and in choir in high school and in theater in high school, it was taking that, what we were already doing in my parents' basement and putting it on a much, much larger scale where we were trying to produce something that given our own capacities, we wouldn't have been able to do. So we needed a director of some kind to guide us through that. And I feel like there is an aspect of leadership in the ensemble world that you, you see that there's a leader directing an ensemble, but each person in the ensemble requires a level of leadership and a level of, uh, Uh, accountability for the other people around them and for an ensemble to be successful it requires that every person commits themselves equally to it and is selfless enough to say oh i'm i'm getting this incorrect can we go back and fix this i'm not embarrassed to say that raise my hand and know that i don't know this yet or to spend the work rehearsing music outside of a rehearsal Um, when I was in high school, the choir that I was singing in was the top choir of my high school. And we went on tour to Boston and we sang the 4A Requiem, which was a huge undertaking for a high school choir. And I had to spend a lot of time just practicing at home to make sure that I was, I was kind of new to the whole singing thing in that capacity. And it took me a long time to feel like I was prepared enough to own my place in the ensemble. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems like it takes, there's a lot of self-improvement or, you know, being able to uh, be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, the experience that I always go back to, I was in, I went to a choir concert probably my junior year and I don't remember why, probably because a girl that I liked was in choir or something like that, and I wanted to go see them perform, and I was in the band, and so we there was all this, you know, we wanted to support the other musicians, but we went and saw a choir, choir down in Denver called Cantorai perform a semi-professional chorus, and uh, they were performing a piece called Luxorumque by Eric Whitaker, and I just remember as a junior in high school, I was not, I'd been in choirs before, but like I said, it was not something that I was involved in really yet and I just felt the chills go down my spine and I thought to myself that like that's what I want to do I want to I want to make that happen and 
there's something about that feeling, and I tell this to my students all the time, that, you know, that's what we're trying to achieve for the audiences. We're trying to, we're trying to give them a, a window into the beauty that exists from people singing together. And I'm not the least cynical person of all time. Um, and so, you know, when I say that to my students, they, uh, you know, you expect some eye rolls and stuff like that, but it, it's true that when they experience that, it is a life changing experience. And after each concert, they reflect and we share out and, um, and the kids who do have that experience of feeling like what they are doing is absolutely changing the lives of the people that they're performing for in a real time, true, uh, meaningful way. That is, that's something that you can't really replicate. It's, it's like, it's like doing community service, but you're, but you're also getting something out of it yourself in a, at least for me in a musical satisfaction way that, you know, if I'm picking up trash on the side of the road is not going to be the same kind of thing, you know? And I want to transition. You mentioned your students. I want to talk about um, the program that you're running and more specifically kind of music and, and young children. But before we get, uh, there was one thing that I was thinking of while you were talking just kind of about its own benefit for you growing up. And I just kind of had this feeling of, you know, maybe this sort of sense of camaraderie or like your tribe kind of thing. And and I'm wondering if that is a piece of it too, as, as somebody in their middle school, high school years. Absolutely. Um, and for me coming into choir late in high school, I kind of felt like the band was my tribe. Um, but that's something that I think that you, if you talk to any students, uh, who are, involved and committed to a music program through middle school and high school that they will say to you, like, these are my people. This is the place where I belong. And, um, in my classroom, I try as much as I can to, to help other, to help all of the students experience that. It's not going to happen with every student though. Um, but yeah, there is that sense of the choir as a family. And we sing to support each other. And we we have this place as our safe place. And we come in, they have students that come in here during lunch just to say hey or to eat their lunch in here or whatever because it feels like, you know, it feels like this room is home. Yeah. It it made me think of it and it kind of made me reflect on my own experience because I did grow up doing theater and I was friends with plenty of people in high school, but the people that I felt probably the safest around were the people that I was doing this kind of my own thing, you know, like they, I could really just be myself. I think that's so important to allow your kids to be able to find that or find their place growing up, no matter what that activity is. Absolutely. Um, So let's talk a little bit more about kind of the program that you're running. Can you tell me a little bit how, what you're doing for your students maybe compares to your own experiences? The program that we have here at Lesher, I have got three curricular choirs, a sixth grade choir, a seventh grade choir, and an eighth grade choir. Um, and then we have three extracurricular choirs, uh, Sons of Thor, which is a small men's ensemble, young men's ensemble, Valkyries, which is a small young women's ensemble, and then Harmonic Minors, which is our mixed choir. Um, then those three are auditioned and we meet before school. So for the curricular choirs, the students that I see during the 
during the school day. Um, at the beginning of the year, we jump in right away, and we've got, I think, six or seven weeks at the beginning of the year to, pre to prepare a performance. So um, so when they come in, we they come in the classroom. Uh, we've got a routine that I try and establish right away in terms of stretching and warm-ups, and then we take some time at the beginning of each class to just sit down and chat. And uh, I call that good things. Um, I took that from a training that I went to last year. Um, and we just sit down and we go around the room and say, you know, what's going well? What's good? And for it can range, the answers from the students range anything from like, potato salad is good. So they raise their hand and I say, all right, what's what's good? And someone says, potato salad. <laughs> potato salad, that's good. It is. <laughs> it is, yeah. Or, you know, something from like, oh, my, brother, my brother's been in the hospital and yeah. he's coming out of the hospital and really excited to see him. So it can range from anything from the absurd to the really uh, heartfelt, uh, just great being grateful students sharing things that they're grateful for um so that's kind of the beginning of our class period every day we warm up vocally we warm up physically we sit down we do some good things um i i use a program called sight reading factory to help students uh get some of the music literacy skills um so we do some sight singing at the beginning of most classes uh depending on where we're at in a performance cycle, but um, I that looks different based on the grade level and the how advanced the group is. Um, but we do a little bit of music literacy work at the beginning of each class period, and then we'll jump into rehearsing for our for our performance. And I try and pick three or four pieces per choir for each concert. We do three concerts throughout the year: um, one in October, one in December, and then our last one in May. Um, and the reason the last one is in May is because in February we do our musical, um, the eighth grade musical last year we did Shrek, um, this year we did Beauty and the Beast Jr. Um, we're still kind of deciding what's going to come next school year, but, uh, that takes up a huge amount of my time and a lot of the students' time who are in the eighth grade ensemble. So I try and find a different performance opportunity for some of our other groups, our seventh graders. We'll go and sing the national anthem at a hockey game sometime in the February, March timeline. Um, the eighth grade choir, we go, uh, we go to a choir festival, um, and get adjudicated by college professors during that time. So it's not a formal performance. Um, that we invite parents to, but it's a performance opportunity for the students to do something a little bit different than, you know, their fall choir concert. You know, because we have so much time starting in January to prepare for that May concert, when we come back after winter break, I do a lot of, I try and do as much uh, music theory work during that time. Note naming, uh, understanding rhythms, we do a little bit uh little bit of basic harmony work and that just depends on the grade level um, and honestly how difficult the music that I've chosen is um, but we spend as much time on that as we can in January and February because we don't have that performance deadline coming so quickly.
I'm Stephanie James, host of The Spark, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. on NOCO FM. Each week, I talk with luminaries in the fields of psychology, health and wellness, entrepreneurs, motivation, and more. We talk about their life stories, their passions, and the ways in which they've overcome adversity, and they provide the necessary tools that will enable you to do the same. Join me Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Mountain, only on NOCO FM for The Spark with Stephanie James, igniting your best life. And how are how are your grade level choirs sort of different than the choirs that students choose like elect to do in the morning? Like, what's the difference in terms of the choirs in the morning? Um, and this is across our music department here at Lesher in the instrumental side and the vocal side. They are required to be in an ensemble during the school day to be in a before school choir. So we have students from band and orchestra that want to sing that come over and perform in those before school choirs. They are required to be in an ensemble during the school day so they can get those fundamentals mm. because we are, our rehearsals for Sons of Thor, for example, we meet 30 minutes a week and that's just not enough time to do music theory and uh, sight reading music literacy stuff. We just jump in and it's a performing group and we prepare for performance and that's, that's all we do Yeah, in those groups. That makes sense. So. Now let's, can we switch to a little bit uh, to talking specifically about boys and you work in middle school. So, and I commend you cause that is a really unique age group with, in terms of what kids are going through. Um, so can you just kind of given that, um, give me your perspective on maybe challenges some of the boys face today? Yeah. Um, it, it depends a lot on the kid, to be honest. Um, I, we're a downtown middle school, so we've got, uh, we've got a really diverse population. Um, we have some of the wealthiest students in the city and we have some of the poorest, most transient students in the city. Um, and that creates some challenges because we have students who have been singing in uh, call, or Centennial Children's Crow for their entire lives. And they're coming in with really, really strong uh, sense of their own voices as an unchanged voice. Um, you know, I, I had a student over the last two years who made the middle school all-state choir as a soprano, both years, a boy. Um, and you know, he was really comfortable singing in that range, an unchanged voice range, because he'd been doing it forever. Mm -hmm. um, for my sixth graders, I have all of the boys, for the most part, mostly they're unchanged voices, so they're singing in a soprano or an alto range. Um, but it does present some challenges because we do have a, a couple of like, sixth grade students every year who are already going through their voice change in sixth grade. And so we talk about it a lot and we talk about how it's first of all, okay to sing in where your voice should be mm -hmm. basically. So a lot of them are like, Oh, I'm, I can't wait to, for my voice to change. And then I'll sing. <laughs> like a voice. Yeah. Um, but I sing in my falsetto all the time. So when I'm modeling for students, you know, I'll, I'll sing, 
Do, re, mi, fa, so, fa, mi, re, do, or whatever, all the time, all yeah. day long. So it kind of, I feel like them having a male choir teacher and singing in that range kind of normalizes it for them. Totally. Um, and it helps them understand, oh, I can just, singing is singing, no matter where my voice is. I'm just going to sing what I'm capable of singing. Uh, talking to them about what their, that every voice is going to change differently. And that, you know, some of their voices might not change until they get to high school. And, you know, I'm 30 years old. I tell them, you know, most of the research says that the male voice doesn't even stop changing and adjusting until the mid thirties. Hmm. So I tell them, you know, I'm still going through my voice change right now. And that helps them, you know, kind of own the fact that like, oh, this is going to continue to be different. And if I continue singing, then I'm just going to have to be adaptable and adjust to what my instrument wants to do and is capable of doing on those days. And I think that that's a really valuable lesson for them to understand that, you know, my abilities are always changing. Yeah. And, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just part of life. I, I think it's kind of cool, actually, probably for, for those boys that are in choir during the time that that's happening to sort of get, get maybe some of that support. Cause I, I wouldn't know how that feels, right. Or if there's any anxiety around it, but I would imagine that maybe some of that conversation translates into all the other changes Absolutely. that are happening. Absolutely. And we, I try as much as I can to celebrate it. You yeah. Know, they think that voice cracks are like the worst thing in the world. They come in and they're like, Oh, I was trying to sing it, but I didn't want to crack. And I, yeah. I, try and flip that as quickly as possible. And I celebrate them when they have voice cracks and it, I have a small private studio and it's the same thing when I'm teaching my private students. Uh, I'm, when they have a voice crack, it means that they're going for it and not holding back. Yeah. And the voice is maybe not going to behave the way that they want it to, but that's okay. It means that they're at least vulnerable enough to, go that far. So when we have people voice crack in choir, you know, I'll walk up to them and give them a high five girls or boys. Yeah. Matter, because I want them to understand that that's something to be celebrated yeah. because that means that they're singing fearless and that they're, uh, open to the changes that they're going through. I love that. Any other challenges that you notice, maybe not even necessarily related to voice production, but you had mentioned that you guys kind of talk about good things, bad things. Like, do you get sort of any idea of what it feels like to be a middle school boy or what's hard about that? I think, um, I think, yeah, I think that there are a lot of challenges that they're going through. And I, the way that our school is set up, I get a lot of students in choir who maybe didn't want to be in choir and they had signed up for a different class, but they weren't able to get it. So they're placed in choir and that, that presents a lot of challenges. Um, later on, I'll read you some words from one of the students who, an eighth grade student who had never sung a lick in his life at the beginning of the year this year and joined choir. And, um, you know, a kid who I think had had some difficulties in school leading up to his eighth grade year and had had some challenges and had been sent to the office a lot and just not understanding the citizenship aspect of being in school. And the experience of singing in choir, I think, was really valuable for him, especially just as a case study, because 
Uh, he's an athlete. He'd been he'd been on teams before, but this was trying to accomplish something as a team that was totally different than you know scoring touchdown. Um, and so I try to emphasize as much of that teamwork stuff as possible, so they understand that this is a team sport that we're we're doing in choir. Um, so there are some boys that respond really well to that kind of uh, that kind of positioning of what we're doing. I I have a really hard time with uh, with the whole video games thing. It's not something that I am involved in at all. I am pretty vocal with my boys about how most of what they're doing and most of the time that they're spending in the video game world is not going to be valuable to them. Um, and I, I talk about that with them straight up and that can be challenging. And sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll do it in a humorous way and sometimes I'll do it in a serious way. Um, but I think it's important for them to understand that to grow up and to maintain relationships, they have to have, they have to have some kind of social skills and just talking about video games and just, you know, spending all of their money and time buying new upgrades for their Fortnite or whatever is just not, is not going to be valuable for them. And I, I encourage them to find as much opportunity for growth as possible and the growth that just personally that I see them getting out of, you know, a video game is not something that's going to bring them value later on. Um, I want to, I want to get back to more specific examples because I know that you've got some, some writing that will be great to share. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about maybe some skills that expected and unexpected, right? Because I always think that sometimes we participate in things and you you grow as a person in specific areas and you don't even realize it. Um, so what are some skills that you might develop as a singer or as a part of an ensemble that expected skills, if you will, sure. um, but but if, if somebody's not involved in sort of vocal music or ensemble might not know? I mean, I think I talk a lot about anatomy um, and I talk about a lot about uh, about caring for our anatomy and our, our voices. So, you know, just from a purely physical aspect, we're training their, their little muscles in their throat and in their face and their diaphragm and their breathing to behave in a different way. And, um, I, I practice yoga a lot. And so, uh, I, I talk a lot about breathing and, um, just, using the breath as a calming tool um, is something that I try and what we're doing, this breathing work, this is something you can do in, in your math class when you're frustrated with your teacher, or you can do at home when you're frustrated with your parents or your siblings or something, you know, just taking a breath. And from a purely physical standpoint, there are lots of things that we're working on from a musical standpoint, you know, they're, they're learning, the basics of the staff and they're learning a little bit of sight reading and they're learning uh, how to perform rhythmically and all of those things, which um, we value as musicians. But in terms of like life skills that they're gaining, I think the teamwork aspect of it is huge. 
I think the individual uh, the individual's performance affecting the rest of the group in a real way. Um, it's not something that they're experiencing really in any of their other classes. You know, they can sit and in their math class and not do the work, and it's not going to affect the way that the person next to them performs as much as it is in here, where one person standing on the riser holding their music up and standing with good posture is going to influence the rest of the people to say, oh, this is what it looks like. And one person standing on the riser with their music at their side slumped over uh, invites the other people around them to do the same. And, um, you know, I don't want to build automatons, but I want them to understand that the way that they present themselves has a huge effect on the way that people will react to them. So we talk about walking on and off stage in a performance, you know. If we walk on stage with confidence and in an organized fashion, then the audience is already going to perceive that we are a better ensemble than maybe we are vocally. And it's it's just a presentation thing. And they don't really understand that. They think that they can, their, their mindset is, oh, I can just walk on stage like myself and be silly and crazy. And I don't have to, I, that doesn't affect the way that the audience is going to perceive me. Well, I think that that idea too, you can see how that would translate down the road into a job interview or a presentation in school or professionally that knowing how to carry yourself and how you're your being affects the room is something that would be huge yeah. down, down the road. What about anything that kids or kids skills that kids might be building that parents might be surprised by? Um, I think the biggest surprise is what kids have to say about singing and what they, it surprises me even what they say they get out of it and how it makes them feel in terms of their mood. Um, and I try and talk about it as much as possible and share experiences from my life about, um, about times when music moved me when I needed it the most, or I give examples of, you know, people that I have performed for in the past that have then gone on to share these stories of how that performance was meaningful to them. And the kids really internalize it. And, um, I can read you some of their words if you'd like, but, uh, you know, they say things like singing is good for me. It's good for my mood. It's good for, it's good for my mental health. I think that, I think that singing makes me a happier person. I, and I don't know, that parents would necessarily notice that um, or maybe not notice that, but think of that at the beginning of the year when they're, you know, sixth grader signs up for choir for the first time, that the kid is going to be looking at this as not a chore, but something that helps them just be centered and still and focused and all in one place at one time, you know, um, performing, performing is so difficult because you have to, I've, I've heard directors say in the past, perform like your heart is on fire and your brain is on ice, you know? So you have to be cool and collected and 
focused on what you're doing, but you also have to put as much of your soul into it as possible because our goal eventually for each concert is to make the audience laugh, to make them cry, to make them uh, say wow and sit up a little taller in their seat. I love that you said that. We talked a lot about mental health, <clears throat> mental well-being just on the show in general. It seems to be, I mean, it's a super important topic today, maybe always, you know, but it's gotten forgotten about. So I love that. I love that you mentioned that, that, that is a powerful tool. Let, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, about some of the words actually from your kids. Cause I know you've had them do some self-reflective writing. Yeah. Um, so this was, uh, these are just some examples of student responses and these are all boys, seventh and eighth grade boys, um, responding about the, their final concert, um, which was just a few weeks ago in the middle of May. Um, and I asked them to reflect on specific things from the concert. What did we do well in this performance that we worked on in class? What did we, what, if you could go back and perform this music again after listening to our recording, what would you change? But then I asked them at the very end, why do you sing? And I just, that's the prompt that I've written for them. And I just like to see what they have to say. And the responses are pretty amazing and meaningful. So I'll share a couple of them with you real quick. So I sing mostly for fun. I also sing to prepare for things later in life. Singing also brings me a good feeling because it feels like educating an audience. I feel like singing can also be mentally good for you and it helps me gain confidence. Overall, I feel singing is good for me. That's from a seventh grader who had never been in choir before this year. Um, here's another one. I sing because it allows me to express myself more. I also sing because it's extremely fun to just vibrate your vocal cords in ways that sound nice. There have been a few songs that I have sung that I sound really, really good on. I play a few instruments and being able to sing and play at the same time gives me a sense of pride. The same goes for singing in general. The very last reason is that people who sing are usually very nice and supportive. So, you know, they're understanding that. I know. That's got to speak to sort of the camaraderie of the yeah. group, right? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, so those were a couple seventh graders. Um, here's a couple eighth grade responses. And this, these ones speak to the mental health aspect a little bit more as well. Um, Singing is a form of expression, and I've always wanted to express myself somehow. Singing allows me to express my emotions in a beautiful way, and I've always loved listening to music anyway, so singing is perfect for me. I sing because it's fun for me and it makes me happy for days. When I'm stressed, singing lifts that off my shoulders and makes me happy again. I love singing, and that's why I sing. Um, another one. I sing because it helps with my mental standpoint on different songs. Singing helps me in a different way. Like with it helping me get my mind off of things going off, at, going on at home or at school. It makes me think about the song more than anything in that moment and the story behind the song. It also makes me realize all the meaning in life and uh, songs like Peace Like a River, they made me think of all the things uh, and happiness that has helped me get through the tough moments and that's why I sing. That's amazing. That's that eighth grade boy who I was telling you about earlier yeah. who never been in choir before, had a rough couple years in sixth and seventh grade. And, um, that was his response. That's afterward. awesome. This one is probably my favorite one. I'll just read you one more. Um, and this one just speaks to that centering aspect that, uh, I was talking about earlier. I sing because I'm stressed. Often life can feel a little overwhelming. Singing helps me get my mind off of the bad things. 
I've become so focused on singing that I forget about everything else. It's almost like with your it's almost like when you're in the ocean out on a boat, so far from shore you can't see shore. Then you jump in the water and you're just there. Everywhere as far as the eye can see, just water. That's what singing is like. That's why I sing. Wow. So it just gives them a sense I feel like from these responses it just gives them a sense of wholeness and it gives them a place in their school day to come and focus on one specific thing and to do it in a way that my performance is going to make everybody else better if I'm focused and it's that whole rising tide raises all ships type of thing where the the better that I am the better that everybody else will be and so that makes me want to be better to support the other people around me and that's that's a really powerful thing for a 7th or an 8th grader to express that you know you wouldn't get from them just you know stopping them in the hall and saying how's your day going yeah so awesome thank you so much Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. A special thank you to Mr. Perrin for coming on and talking to me. Uh, you can find the show notes for today's episode at www.boysbuiltbetter.com. And if you're interested in having your son or daughter enter the summer challenge, go ahead and check us out on Instagram. We're running a challenge on getting your child to read and work on math over the summer. Thanks again for listening. This has been a production of NOCO FM.